Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today in Titletown Packers podcast. My name is Griffin. I'm here with Ron. We're here to talk about the Packers' victory over the Carolina Panthers on Saturday night football last week. It was uh, it was a win. <laughs> I'll say that at the very least. And we're going to look forward to this week's matchup with the Tennessee Titans, who are having a phenomenal season, great offense. It's going to be a good game on Sunday night football. Bron, what are you feeling like this week after that win? Yeah, things are good. You know, I'm feeling good about the team still. And, and you know, we're going to talk about all the things that went into this football game, Griff. Yeah, that's really all you can feel. Just it's you got to take this game out on your overall perception of the team. It feels like a game that it, it felt like a 2019 game. In all honesty, it felt like it was a lot like the Jaguars game. It was a lot like all their losses this season, except the Colts game, I guess, where just the offense just couldn't get it going, mainly in the second half. And I don't I don't know what you take away from this game, because I there's no reason to believe this is the offense at its core. We've seen them play so much better against uh, much better opponents this season than how they played in the second half on Saturday night. So it was very underwhelming. It didn't leave a good taste in your mouth, but they got the win. And that's all that matters because now they're sitting at 11 and three. The Saints lost another game on Sunday. So they have complete control of the one seed alone at the top of the NFC. And uh, that's really all that matters at the end of the day. They don't really care about style points. It really only hurts. It hurts for Aaron's MVP chances because this was a game where going into it, you thought he could maybe light up the stat sheet against a horrible Panthers defense. And that really didn't happen. But uh, yeah, just a win is a win, I guess, is the only take you can get from this game. Well, Matt LaFleur said it best. You can never really apologize for winning, especially in this league where any given Sunday a bad team can come in and destroy things. And we saw that, you know, multiple games this week, the Jets did us a favor and beat the Rams. You know, they were 0-12 to that, 0-13 to that point, and now they've won themselves a game against one of the league's better teams, we thought, at the time. And then we saw on Monday night as well, the 1-whatever, 13-whatever they're at, Bengals, they're so bad, they don't even have their starting quarterback, and they go in and beat a Pittsburgh Steelers team with 11 wins. So, you know, things can happen in this league, and all I can say is we're lucky to get out of there with a win, uh, considering the way we played in that second half and the way the offense was playing specifically. So, you know, not a great game by our standards. Uh, you could tell how upset Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and the rest of the team were after that performance. Um, but, you know, we have to accept the results and realize we can improve and move on and, and hope to learn from it. Yeah, uh, Andy Herman pointed this out, that the Packers had the largest margin of victory out of any of the NFC playoff teams this week. So it was just an ugly week all around for all of the NFC teams. And we probably, as as bad as this game was for the Packers, it was probably the best outcome that we, we could have asked for looking around the league. The Saints losing, the Rams losing to the Jets. It can't get more embarrassing than that. And then... Uh, even the Vikings, who were fighting for the last wild card spot, they lost to the Bears. Mitchell Tabriski lit them up. Uh, so just a good outcome for the Packers overall. But um, as we get closer to the playoffs, we're looking for this team to start playing their best football. And laying an egg like that on offense isn't isn't really what's going to excite you. But overall, it's better than a loss for sure. Well, one thing I could certainly say is you look back at what the Panthers have done. You got to give them credit. Uh, I mean, they went into New Orleans, um, and they only lost by three. Uh, they went into Kansas City and only and only lost by two. And then they were able to come to Green Bay, and we ended up beating them by eight points. So, you know, we do have to put things in perspective. That, that Panthers offense has legit players that we talked about 
uh, going into this game. DJ Moore, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is, is no slouch at quarterback. He can play. He's good enough. They've got Mike Davis, a strong, bruising runner. Uh, and, you know, we, they've obviously got other guys like Curtis Samuel as well, Robbie Anderson. Um, and their defense has, you know, it's a very multiple defense. A lot of, uh, you know, complex stuff that Aaron Rodgers mentioned going into the game was going to be a challenge. A bit of an uncommon opponent and just, you know, just a tough game. It was one of those games that you had to grind it out to get the win, and we did good enough, and that's really all that mattered in the end. Yeah, that's why in that way it felt like a 2019 game where we did good enough on offense. Thank God the defense stepped up and was able to shut Carolina down, but playing a better opponent, you imagine things could have gotten a lot worse if anyone other than Teddy Bridgewater maybe was throwing the football because he is good. He's a good distributor. He's get the, he's going to get the ball where it needs to be, but he's not a game changer. He's not an elite quarterback. He's not, he's not going to make the playoffs for a reason. So if the offense has a performance like this in the playoffs, once again, that's the scary part of this game coming out of it. And really overall, just to dive into the offense here. I, I don't know what happened in the second half. I have no idea. It seemed like the Panthers took the route of doubling Devontae Adams, daring anyone else to beat them, and it just couldn't happen. But the really the stunning thing is, in the first half, the Packers were averaging five and a half yards per carry before contact. Before contact. They were running the ball. Aaron Jones had over 100 yards by halftime, running it down Carolina's throat. In the second half, we had nine carries. At all, just nine carries. We were trying to throw the ball so often, uh, not really sure why. In the first half, we had 6.2 yards per play, just 2.1 in the second half. Just could not get anything going. I don't know what changed. I don't know if Aaron was just trying to force it because he was up big. It, the thing is, I'm, I fundamentally, I am not against throwing the football more often when you have a lead. I think that's a good thing to do, especially with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. But... The method that the Packers were taking in throwing the football was just, it was ridiculous. It was just, they were trying so hard to throw it short while the Panthers defense was just jumping all over it. I don't know if it was, LaFleur was calling a lot of RPOs and Aaron was just throwing on a lot of these plays, but it was it was very annoying to watch just repeatedly throwing Adams in the flat, throwing Lazard in the flat and just getting tackled for two yards, one yard. Well, you know what? That's exactly what I was thinking, especially during the late portions of the game where we were really struggling. I just, I kept looking and, you know, our offense was just really attempting to move laterally, too much lateral movement. And and that's with the passing game, trying to do a lot of short, like you said, stuff in the flat, screens, you know, hitting Devontae right off, you know, right off the snap, Rodgers. And it's a common thing that they've done over the course of, you know, their career together. Uh and the Panthers were all over it. They knew when Rodgers saw Devontae with some room or, you know, some, some cushion on the, uh, from the secondary on Devontae that he was going to try to hit him right away and, and give him room to move. And the Panthers were all over that, and we've had a lot of success with that this year, and they were just covering it, you know, and we just couldn't get it going. And that limited our ability to, to move downfield as well, uh, and that had a lot to do with the fact that the pass protection maybe had its worst game since Tampa Bay, um, and, and because of that, we weren't able to give Aaron Rodgers enough time to even find guys to get open. And then when they did, you know, guys like Alan Lazard and others were dropping passes wide open that were taking away a lot of big plays. Um, you know, Adams did not play well. They just locked him down. They neutralized him. They somehow, you know, they, they put a lot of two man stuff on him. We had, you know, two guys down back, uh, 
and which which helped us in the running game as well. But then we we for some reason, Griff, like you mentioned, we decided to continue to try to pass against these run friendly fronts, um, and and we instead of taking advantage of that, um, and that's kind of what led to the fact that the Panthers had a lot more success in the second half, even though our running game was you know really just thrashing them in the first half, which led us to get that twenty one to three lead. Uh, but then the passing game, we continued to try to go with that, and we couldn't get it going because their plan was to stop that. We fell right into their plan. Yeah, and there was none of the none of the window dressing that we've seen from this offense all year, and almost no motion, nothing creative going on from the floor, at least outside of the inside the five yard line. It was a very confusing game all around, and I'm hoping that this was just a relaxed game plan. Maybe it maybe it was a trap game. Best case scenario, honestly, that is that this was a trap game that the Packers weren't fully prepared for because it was just the offense was so confusing. And like you said, the pass protection was not good. They had their worst game since the Tampa Bay game. Rodgers had five sacks most all year. And the the weird thing is in Tampa Bay the offensive line got worked because the, the Bucks blitzed like 20, 21 times. They just would not stop blitzing, and we couldn't do anything about it. All five of the sacks on Saturday were not on a blitz. They were just the offensive line getting beat straight up by a four-man or five-man rush. So this was definitely, I'd say, their worst game of the year, and they just this offensive line is a unit that we've admired all season long. We've been so surprised that they've been one of the best teams in the league, but just they they couldn't execute anything on uh, on Saturday night in pass protection. And Lucas Patrick sp- specifically had maybe his worst game of the year. He's a guy who's really come on strong when he's when his number's been called this season, but he gave up two sacks, three pressures. It was just even Bakhtiari gave up a few pressures to um from Brian Burns. So, it was just not a great night for the offense, especially the offensive line which is, you know, a unit that we've come to rely on as the season goes on. It's one of the strongest units in football, but it was just not their night, and we weren't doing anything to counter that. Yeah, and I think the fact that, you know, it was we saw Aaron get sacked in both halves. It wasn't like it was just the second half collapse that we've seen from this team in the past, although it, it was one of those similar outcomes where we were up by a lot and then ended up getting the game close at the end and whatnot. It was the fact that the O line just struggled all night long, and that in itself made the passing game struggle in a lot of ways because guys just they weren't able to get open in time. By the time Aaron was getting you know pressured or or having to try to escape, um, and then even when when guys uh, ended up getting open, you know even throws out in rhythm, just plays weren't being made. I know Rodgers was frustrated. You could see it on TV. Probably the most frustrated he's been. In, in quite some time with this team and the receivers, uh, Robert Tunyon specifically had a couple uh, mistakes, blocking on, on passing plays and things of that nature. And we talked about that, that one drop from Alan Lazard on the Jared Cook uh, throwback play that would have put us in position to get another score before half. You know, those, those were the little things that just – I mean, he was wide open, popped it right off his shoulder – that's a big mistake there, and, and that could have been a costly one in, in the end. But, you know, I just think there, there are fixable moments here and, and things that we can learn from. I, I, don't, I just don't know. I don't understand what the issue was. It's hard to think about, you know, why we can go out and have a performance like this but yet have so much success, dominant performances. 
uh, in many other games against better defenses. Uh, it's just it's kind of hard to put your finger on what it is. But if I if you ask me, I think it was a lot to do with the fact that the pass rush uh, limited us from really getting anything going in the passing game. It was just a confusing game all around. Like you said, like how does this game happen for an offense that has made it look so easy all season long? It was it, this game was really just a lot like the Jacksonville game where it was just horrible defense, horrible team. You don't know why they're struggling so much, why everything has to be so difficult on offense. But, you know, the next week they played really well against the great Colts defense. So hopefully that's it was just a, you know, a, a blip on the radar for this offense. Uh, I don't know what the game plan was here. I have no idea what LaFleur was calling or what was Rogers' yeah. decisions. I, I don't I mean that's the one thing we don't know. We don't know who, you know, who's who's deciding whether or not to decide to throw downfield. Uh we just didn't see any deep shots like at all. It was it was no. surprising. It was it was almost shocking because this is a defense that secondary isn't great. You know, they've got one guy that you worry about, the rookie Jeremy Chin, but he's not really even a secondary player. He's all a lot of times in the box looking to blitz trying to make plays in the middle um, where they're, you know, they've got, they've got Justin Jackson and he's a good corner, but that's no trouble for Devante in most nights, but they were double covering him. And and a lot of the stuff that they probably wanted to do might've been getting taken away. But at the same time, you got the guy Devante Adams who has made a lot of plays regardless of the number or quality of players in front of him. So I would have liked to seen more chances taken downfield with those guys. And uh, you know, it just didn't happen. Yeah, Rodgers only had four attempts of 10-plus yards. He only completed two of them. 14 yards was his longest pass of the night. It was just it was just so weird. Not anything like what we've seen from this offense. Even in the Jacksonville game, there was at least that MVS deep shot, the 70-yard touchdown. MVS didn't do anything in this game. Back down the roller coaster with him. He had no receptions, only one target after coming off of a great game last week in Detroit. Just a very, very confusing game. Devontae had maybe his worst game of the season. He had a drop in there. He he just they, – they, Panthers defense definitely made it a goal to keep him covered. They devoted two guys, sometimes three guys, to keep him in uh, – to keep him under control. And Rodgers just – by the time he looked off of Devontae, there was someone in his lap. So not much you can do about that. I don't know what the deal was. I'm hoping – this, these are all fixable issues, but you know, we're in December. This is a game at Lambeau Field. It's cold. It's very frustrating that this is happening. Yeah, definitely. You know, we talked about it, and and I know you mentioned it. This is one where you want to really put your stamp on who you are as a team. You want to put your stamp on who your quarterback is and and what his 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 chances for the MVP are, um, and all that. You know, we're a playoff team. We're likely to be the number one seed. I think we, you know, if we want to really get our get our stuff going here, um, we got to start playing better. And you know, even coming out with a win, it's not enough at this point, especially for a team like us who has a higher standard set. Um, you know, not only by the fans, but by the organization, the players, the coaches, the owner, the owners, the fans itself. You know, our standard is winning, and our standard is excellence. And that wasn't what we saw on Saturday and we have to play better. And it starts with a lot of the things that we've been harping on all year. And for the offense, it was, you know, to have this kind of performance, the offense specifically, it wasn't, it it wasn't good for us, but I'm optimistic about what we can do. 
I'm I'm hopeful that it was just just one of those games that happen. Even to great teams, you know, it just happens, and, and we just have to hope that that was the case and, and not, you know, a downward spiral. The best thing coming out of this game probably was just seeing how upset Aaron was with the performance, knowing that he knows that this is not this is not what we've come to expect from this offense. And you could see it on the field. He was There was that one play where it was a screen uh, outside to the receiver, and he was very upset with uh, Tom Tanyan's blocking on the play, and you can see him yell, "Damn it, Bobby!" <laughs> Something like that. And then after the post game, he goes up to the mic with uh, the NFL Network crew, and he's just so—you could tell—he was just so unhappy. And that's probably uh, that's probably what you like to see there, because knowing that the quarterback is that unhappy with the the team's performance, it it's probably going to lead to a hard work of hard week of practice. So. Hopefully they come out much more prepared this Sunday night against Tennessee because they're going to have to. They cannot turn in a performance like that again on Sunday night. Probably they can't turn in a performance like that the rest of the year. In the playoffs, Week 17, Super Bowl, we just cannot see another game like that from this offense. Yeah, I think you said it well there. To see the quarterback, you know, really just unhappy with the way we played. And, 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 you know, he said it. If we play like we did in the second half, we're not going to win any playoff games. That's not, that's not up to snuff in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm just, I'm hopeful. I, I do think that with him leading us, I, I think we have a great chance to rebound, you know, and we're going to get into the Tennessee game, but I think this is an opportunity for us to really push momentum into the playoffs and, and really, you know, take control of who we are as a team and get going. All right, let's switch gears to the defense here. Uh, only allowing 16 points against an offense with this many playmakers, I would say is a good thing, knowing that this this defense is prone to the big play. They are prone to giving up uh, a lot of yards in the pass game and the rushing game, but they held Mike Davis in check. They held most of the receivers in check outside of Kevin King, who had a dreadful night. But uh, I, I, was, I would come out of this game impressed with the with the defensive performance what say you Bron? yeah I was encouraged definitely it was about it, it was nice to with the way our offense played in that second half it was nice to see our defense kind of pick up the slack and that's why you talked about it being like a 2019 game where the defense really did a lot of our had a lot of our success um you know and it was nice to see that because we need to be able to get to a point where our offense and defense are both playing uh, at an elite level on, on like like I said on both sides of the ball so for me this was an encouraging thing for the defense to come out and play like they did um, but like you mentioned Kevin King he was bad he was so bad and it's it's tough because it really shows you you really you're really as good as your worst player is and Kevin King was our worst player on the field on defense and and when we did struggle it was just because he was letting guys open he was missing tackles he was just standing around uh, <laughs> just a lot of bad stuff from him it was probably his no definitely his worst game of the year um, one play comes to mind for me and of course we'll get to the positive things that happened but to get this out of the way you know one play I remember Kevin King getting called for a holding and then guess who's holding another guy right in front of him that they easily could have called. It's Will Redmond, <laughs> the two worst players on the Packers defense. Oh, and easy, easy. It was, it, no, it's it's bad at this point. Kevin, Kevin King, King, worst player on the defense. He was on he was on okay. Saturday, and it was it was not pretty. Uh, and Will Redmond, obviously, we know what he does for the team. Nothing. <laughs> and uh, you know, I'm I'm getting sick of talking about it, but they're going to keep playing him, so we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, King allowed six receptions on six targets for 127 yards and five first downs. He got demolished by DJ Moore throughout the game. That's official right there. Yeah, that yeah, that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good stat line right there for a receiver. Maybe not a cornerback who was allowing these yardage, but it was <laughs> just it's more of what we've seen from Kevin King in his time in Green Bay. Just so inconsistent. One week he looks like he can really be something in this league, and then the next week he has a performance like this where it's like, did he practice all week? Did he does he know who he's playing against? I don't know. I don't know what's so what Mike Pettin sees in Kevin King that he's going to make Josh Jackson a healthy scratch. I don't know what the drop off is between these two players. Uh, well, for one, the, they kept one guy active, which was Kadar Holman over Jackson, who gives you so much more in, in the, uh, in the defensive aspect of the game. And, you know, Matt LaFleur explained it as a special teams decision. Kadar Holman ended up being our worst graded special teams player of the of the game, he had a thirty eight point five, way below the sixty average. I mean, mm. come on now, like what kind of? How can you chalk that up to a special teams decision when this guy played the worst of literally anybody on our special teams unit? There's no way Jackson would would make that, uh, you know, make a worse outcome there. And I think he'd obviously add something to the defense as well. Kevin King just, you know, when he plays like that, it's like you can't even have him on the field because he's just a walking he's a walking completion. Uh, it's just free yardage and it's just, that's, that's why things got tight that because, you know, in a game like that, where our offense isn't working, the defense is playing well for the most part. So many guys had great games. So many guys, Shannon Sullivan had a great rebound game. Amos, you know, Barnes had a great game. Those two guys are really coming on. Clark is really coming on as well. Dean Lowry is playing better football than he has in recent weeks. You know, the Smith bros. Yep. Savage is another one. Alexander, of course, and and Kiki, you know, and the Smith bros, those, those guys are rushing the passer pretty well right now. All of those guys are playing great football, but Kevin King is the one guy who struggled and you saw how often the Panthers were being able to move the ball late in that game. And it's because he just, you know, we're only as good as your worst player. And, and that was the case on Saturday night. Yeah. Defense is a weak link part side of the ball. It's just, if, Kevin King is our worst player. All you have to do is target him and you're going to find offensive success. And people keep talking about how Kevin King, there's no way he's a Packer next year. I'm not sure how many offers he gets on the open market. I don't know what kind of contract he would get by, by uh, a different team other than green Bay. I think we could get him pretty cheaply. So that I think there is a good chance he's back in green Bay next year, unless a team like New York or Washington just gives him $14 million. Like, bad teams usually do they usually overpay horrible or you know mediocre defenders uh but i don't know i think there's a good chance that king doesn't see uh much of anything on the open market because he hasn't had a great season he's he's good in select games but you get games like this from him where he he very well could have cost us this game single-handedly well here's the thing i don't think he's going to be back and i don't want him back He's probably going to get upwards of he's probably going to get upwards of 9 million dollars I think per year. And that's just what everybody's getting at the cornerback position. If you're a and, and he he he's a good corner. Like to other teams he'll appear as a good corner. I don't want him back. I mean, I just I'm not going to pay that guy 9 million dollars a year. I'm not going to pay him 8. I'm probably not going to pay him 7, 6. You know, I just I don't think I want him back. And I don't see it happening. Um 
you know, they drafted Josh Jackson in the second round. It's time they try to give him a shot here and play. And I'm not saying he should be the guy next year that starts next to Alexander. I'd rather go get somebody else in free agency and draft somebody high than to, to bring King back just because he's so inconsistent. We need more consistency on this team. MVS, like these guys, we're, we're relying on these players to give us successful, you know, minutes on the field. And when MVS is struggling and doesn't give us that, it, it disrupts the game plan. And when Kevin King is out there not fulfilling his responsibilities while everybody else is, it's disrupting everything we do on defense and it's causing us to surrender points. And that could lead to losing games. We need more consistency. And I'd rather somebody else pay him, you know, to have those nice shining moments once in a while and get a lot of bad plays in between um, than at least knowing what we're getting and, and probably paying less for it. Cornerback could be a, a top three position of need for the Packers. And it probably is because uh, outside of Jair, a lot of inconsistency and a lot of unknowns in guys like Josh Jackson and Kadar Holman. Jackson specifically, he's in his third year now, and it's just he can't even get on the field. Second round pick, like, I don't, I don't get it with him. I mean, every time he's on the field, he commits some kind of penalty or gives up a big play at least once per game. But, I mean, so does King. King's given up 127 yards. Yeah, he's right? also allowing penalties left and right, whether it's P.I., holding, whatever. I mean, he's he's got his fair share of that as well. I, I mean, I wouldn't – you know, it's not like this – Jackson's not this penalty just like – he doesn't just get all these penalties in the, like like Kevin King doesn't. I mean, both of those guys struggle with it. But I don't think Kevin King is giving you much more than what Josh Jackson would give right now. Yeah, it's just confusing. The secondary, overall, I think the secondary is very promising. And I think there's a lot of talent there, especially with guys like Jair, who's just phenomenal every week, locked down corner. Uh, Adrian Amos had probably his, maybe his best game as a Packer. He was just, he was all over the field. Three pass breakups. He had one really big hit. He was, he was the player that they signed last April, and then Darnell continues to improve, continues to be sustainable on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, Chandon Sullivan, like you said, had a really nice rebound game. He had a 92.4 grade, I believe, from PFF this week, which is the highest, uh, highest grade given on the defensive side this game. So good game for him. But uh, yeah, Kevin King, is, he's the weak link in that secondary for sure. And with King, he's a guy that could play well this week. And all of a sudden, you know, we're excited about the duo, you know, this and that. So we'll see. But look, right now, he's the guy, so we just have to hope he plays better. And um, But like you said, Griff, the rest of the secondary is filled with elite play right now. And, of course, that starts with Adrian Amos, who is just, you know, he had four pass. I think he had four. It might have been three. I heard four pass breakups. Um, and he had a couple consecutive ones in big spots, you know, creating stops him and Jair had really nice games as well and then obviously Savage does a lot of great stuff for us in the run and the passing game um so you know those three guys specifically are putting us in a great position to succeed in the secondary and and stop a lot of the passing games that we might have to worry about in these playoffs that we're going to be in Savage was targeted three times gave up no receptions and actually he has a 51.4 passer rating allowed this season when he was targeted and that is the fourth lowest among safeties so he's having a really strong year Mike Patton's getting pretty creative with him as the season goes on and you love to see it because this is definitely the player that they drafted this is the player we expected to see last year and this year and early on things were not looking very good but it's really good to see him week in week out continuing to put in uh, very very good performances. 
So him and Amos is definitely a great pairing. Yeah, they are, and, and those aren't the only guys who are having a lot of success for us. I mean, we saw it uh, on Saturday. The Smith Bros both ended up having sacks, and you know we're getting pressure. Uh, I think we're starting to see more of what we were looking at in 2019 when in regards to what we were doing pressuring the quarterback. I think Preston is starting to come back to form. Him being able to kind of just rush the passer a lot more than you know because he didn't he didn't drop into coverage as much these past few weeks and he's not doing it much more than he did last year overall but him getting a lot more just pass rush pass rush pass rush like him being able to just focus on that has given him the opportunity to make more plays and he's made a lot of big plays this year that's that's probably different than even last year where he got sacks this year he's making like crucial turnover type plays where he's causing interceptions, picking up fumbles, um, you know, you know, getting interceptions, things like that. Like he's just he's having an impact and he's also getting sacks as we see as we speak here, too. So, um, you know, I'm just excited about what the pass rush is doing. Kenny Clark looking like he's having a great year now. He's, he's really coming to form after after that injury. Um, he's making a lot of good run stops and, and also getting to the quarterback. So I'm excited for what we have in that spot, especially rushing the passer. Yeah, the Smith Bros combined for seven pressures, two sacks. Kenny Clark had five pressures. So this really was a 2019 performance from them. Uh, you know, they've definitely regressed. The, the whole pass rush has definitely regressed this year, coming off of last year where they were great. Uh, it was kind of expected, but it's nice to see these games where they're still be able to show flashes of excellence that we saw last year. And Preston Smith does seem to be uh, maybe not, turning into a player that people thought he was last year but he's he's a consistent reliable player I'd say on the edge right now and he has value to this defense for sure which at one point in the season he did not I would say so he had a sack on Saturday and it's it's good to see from Preston and Zedarius on the other side you know he can wreck a game at any given point and Zedarius is quietly having a great year especially among uh outside linebackers edge rushers because uh, I think he's up in the top five in sacks. He's up there in pressures as well. He's he's having a really quiet, good year. Not at the level he was at last season, but overall, it's a good it's a good trajectory from Zedarius Smith coming off of uh, just his second year under contract in Green Bay. Yeah, it certainly is. And you know, I think it's a good time to mention that he and six other Packers um, made the Pro Bowl, which you know. The importance of that is debated, but uh, <laughs> I stopped caring about the Pro Bowl about three years ago. But this is good. yeah, no, is it's good. nice to see us get a lot of the guys get recognition, especially guys like Elton Jenkins, Jair Alexander, and others for the first time. Um, you know, the Pro Bowlers were Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Jair Alexander, and Zadarius Smith. So all those guys. Uh, getting to the Pro Bowl, Aaron Jones, the only non-starter of the group. So that's you know that's a lot of guys tied for the league lead with four other with three other teams. Um, so it's nice, you know, it's nice especially for the younger guys to get some recognition. Um, but Griff, if you ask me, there's three other guys that probably should have made it and didn't. And uh, you know, Mason Crosby's one who we talk about a lot made another huge kick um, this week, um, 51 yarder. Uh, in the windy conditions of Lambeau, and he's been so consistent. He's made 16 of his 16 field goals. He's made them all, um, did not get picked to the Pro Bowl. And then, of course, you've got uh, Robert Tunyon, who probably the biggest snub of all our guys. Um, he has 10 touchdowns, 
you know, he's playing great. He's got a 148.8 rating um, when thrown to, which leads the league. Um, but he he got uh, he got dismissed over Evan Ingram, who's had a much worse statistical season, only one touchdown. Um, he's got nine drops on the year. So, you know, that's another one. And then, of course, um, we've got Corey Lindsley, who's been hurt the past couple of weeks, but has clearly been the best center in football this year. And he did not make the list as well. Yeah, guys like Tanya and Lindsley just shows that it's it's a popularity contest. The Pro Bowl doesn't really mean much, but that's why it's like surprising that a guy like Elton Jenkins made it. Like I feel like not a people not a lot of people know who Elton Jenkins is, but Tanya is definitely the biggest snub. It's just it's year in year out. It's people get so mad about the Pro Bowl, but I mean, what do you expect? This is it happens every year. Robert Tanya. 90.7% of his targets are caught. He has more touchdowns than he has incompletions when thrown to. He's tied for fifth in the NFL among tight ends and receivers in touchdowns. That's ridiculous for a tight end. Are you kidding me? No drops this season. He has the most targets of any tight end without a drop. And uh, like you said, the 148.8 passer rating when targeted, it's just ridiculous that he didn't make the Pro Bowl, but I'm done getting upset over these kinds of things, especially after last year. I think like I think we only had three Pro Bowlers last year. We had not very many. We had a lot of snubs last year. So uh, just being able to get seven in, they're not even playing the Pro Bowl this year. I think it's going to be Madden. So <laughs> no one watched the yeah. Pro Bowl anyways. But uh, not like Rogers was going to be there. Yeah, or actually, Rogers, I don't think, you know, none of us were going to be there anyway. So the big, the biggest thing about the Pro Bowl, the biggest mark on its legacy, is in 2018 when Mitch Trubisky made it after Rodgers and I think two other quarterbacks uh, <laughs> opted out of playing and Mitch Trubisky was playing in the, in the Pro Bowl representing the NFC. I've been taking mm-hmm. it seriously since then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, you know, like I said, Rodgers never really goes to these and I doubt he'll be playing any Madden. So, you know, we don't have to probably worry about that. Plus yeah, he doesn't seem like a big Madden guy. Yeah, and and plus we probably won't even you know we'll be in the Super Bowl, so it's probably not something we have to worry about. Yeah, we'll be a little busy there. Yeah, we'll be busy. You think, sorry. You think Tanyan's got a chance at All Pro second team behind Kelsey? Obviously, I mean, who else is that? I mean, Kittle has been hurt all year, so he's not going to make it. Who else is up there with the tight ends? Waller. Ah, Waller. Yeah, Tanyan won't make it. Yeah, no. Sadly, no. He's but a guy though. that. No, he does. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Tunyon is is probably going to finish third in that, I would say. And that is ultra impressive. Yeah. That is what a jump for the guy who really, you know, he was an undrafted guy. He's been behind players that have just flamed out of Green Bay, Jimmy Graham, Martellus Bennett, the like. And now he's risen to the top of that group and learned from what they didn't do. And now he's kind of becoming that security blanket for Rodgers especially in the red zone, of course. And we're seeing him score 10 touchdowns this year. Phenomenal from him. And so, yeah, I mean, that it's just an impressive year, regardless of where he finishes in awards or other things of that nature. It's a great year for him and, and really exciting stuff. Yeah, it's no one even knew how to say his name until four weeks ago. And now he's now he's putting together this kind of season. It's great. Maybe he's got a chance at getting a Super Bowl MVP. That's still on the table here. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely an option. <laughs> Can you imagine yeah. if he puts in? Okay, would, yeah. If he turned in the Atlanta performance in the Super Bowl, three touchdowns, maybe. 
Well, that would mean Rodgers has at least three, so they'd probably yeah, give it to Rodgers. Yeah, give it to Rodgers. You're right. Maybe he gets one rushing. <laughs> <laughs> a kick return. Yeah, t- a Tunyon kick return touchdown. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Just give him all the touchdowns. <laughs> Let's move to the Tennessee game here, Brown. How's that? There's a lot to talk about. There's Definitely a lot, a lot to, talk to talk about, about with this game. The, uh, this is a, this is the heavyweight matchup here of of you know when you're looking at you know besides Kansas City this is probably the team that is most exciting to think about when you're talking about a matchup with Green Bay just because they do first of all you talk about Matt Lafleur being their offensive coordinator leaving to become the head coach of Green Bay they know what he's doing and Matt Lafleur knows what they're doing on defense. And there's just a lot of relationship stuff there that is very intriguing stylistically. And then you just look at what the schematic stuff brings and, and the, the players on the field and how much success these, these teams are having. The Titans are the number one scoring offense in football. Green Bay is ranked number three. Green Bay has two less points on the season than Tennessee, so it's neck and neck. Uh, you add all that up, and you're talking about two great football teams, one of them lives by the run, and then thrives with the play-action passing, and the other one does just the same. We th- This year it's a little different. We're, ha- we're relying much more on the passing game, but that's it all stems from the play-action stuff that we do. So it, it really is an exciting matchup, and it's, g- it's going to be coming down to which defense can perform better. The Titans are just a high-quality version of the Vikings offense where they live through the run game. They're 1960s smash-mouth outdated antiquated football but they have success in the passing game where they're putting up 40 points a game so the vikings wish they could do that and you could say the the titans maybe in 2020 they stick to the ground game too much but when derrick henry is so good he is ridiculous and ryan Tannehill is a very very good quarterback and they have very good weapons uh that they've surrounded him with so it's a it's a pretty pretty good offense they've got in Tennessee and it's going to be a it could be it could be game of the year quality because neither defense looks apt to stop the other our defense I I have nightmares about them trying to tackle Derrick Henry on Sunday and the Titans defense is just not very good very susceptible to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers uh, passing game so it's it's kind of disappointing that this game doesn't really mean much for the Packers because it's all we have to do is win week 17 and we'll secure the one seed. So this is really just it's going to be a it's going to be a test of what kind of football team we are because we are one and two against teams with a winning rec- winning record right now. Uh, we beat the Saints week three, but we've lost to the Buccaneers and the Colts. So it's going to be nice just to see what we do against a very quality opponent. But that's kind of all it's worth. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, the one thing I always think about is everybody looked at this game when the schedule came out, circled it, and said, oh, well, Green Bay's not going to have a chance. Derrick Henry's going to run all over them. And, you know, I always, you know, you got to slow down. Like, let's think about this for a minute. Let's think about how this game could unfold. Because, you know, the Packers' offense gets to play too. So, and, and they're playing at just as good of a level, if not better, than Tennessee. So when I look at this, I think about how – you know, which defense has a better chance to do something to stop the opposing offense. And I look at Green Bay's offense and I look at Tennessee's defense. Specifically, I look at their pass rush. They have the least sacks in the league. They're probably the worst pass rushing team in football. And if that's the case, 
you know what that means. Aaron Rodgers is going to have time. Aaron Rodgers is going to have the ability to throw in rhythm. He's going to have the ability to throw downfield, escape the pocket, do all the things he wants to do, and that's going to be hard to stop. That is what real. That's like an advantage that it can't be keyed in on. There's no, you know, it's it's not something that you can just try to stop because it's going to be all over the field. It's going to be so decentralized that the Titans aren't going to be able to stop it. When I look at the Packers defense, the one thing that everybody talks about is Derrick Henry. If we can just really focus on stopping him and making them throw it, we say this every week about teams with good running backs, we're going to have to fill the box up and hope guys like Jair, guys like Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, those guys are going to have to to do their job and they're going to have to play really well because we're going to have to rely on the elite talent that we have back there to win one-on-one matchups and to have success and not get beat because we're going to have to put guys in the box, try to blitz Brian Tannehill and and try to get to Derrick Henry in the backfield. There's not a team in the league that loves running on early downs more than the Tennessee Titans. And so Mike Patton being our defensive coordinator, knowing that he refuses to play run defense, he refuses to uh, counter the run game in any designed way on the defensive side of the ball, we're going to have to see him step up and defend the run, go out of his way to defend the run on first and second down because there's not a more run-run pass team in the league than the Tennessee Titans. And if we get them into third and long, we're in a good spot. I can totally see a game where Mike Penton on first down is playing two high safeties, playing everyone off the line of scrimmage just like he would any other team and just allowing Derrick Henry. It's easier to fly to Miami than it is to run there. We know his philosophy, and I could see a game where Derrick Henry is able to just run all over us and Mike Penton does nothing about it. But I'd like to think guy watches some film, guy looks at some numbers and knows what the Titans are going to try and do to us, especially the Titans know how bad our run defense is. There's no question about what they're going to try to do to us, just like Minnesota did with Dalvin Cook. So it's going to come down to Mike Penton growing a pair and committing to stopping Derrick Henry, at least on early downs. On third down, have at it. Play all the pass coverage you want because Tennessee has some real weapons and Ryan Tannehill is a very good quarterback. So on third down, I'm all for playing the pass game, but on early downs, we have to make it a priority to stop Derrick Henry. Well, it's clear he's going to be the number one thing that they go through. And the best case scenario for us is to... I, I think we have the advantage because the running game is something where in order to, it's, it's going to be easier to stop the run than it is to try to stop the pass because the passing game is so spread out that you can't centralize and focus on something like the run game where it's going to be within this, you know, it's going to be within the numbers most of the time where you can just focus on making sure your guys win their one-on-ones and, and get to the guy. I think we have a better chance to stop Derrick Henry than the Titans have a chance to stop what we're doing in the passing game. And I don't know if you agree with that, Griff, but for me, that's why I think we have the advantage in this game. I'm not saying, you know, when I say stop the run, when I say stop Derrick Henry, it's not, we're not going to stop him. He's going to get a lot of what they want. They're going to get a lot of what they want to do done because he's just so effective and he's so good. But I think we're going to be able to limit him more than they're going to be able to do that to Aaron Rodgers. Well, I do agree that we are going to 
be more of an obstacle to Derrick Henry than the Titans defense will be to us just because when we want it, we're going to take it against, doesn't matter who we're playing. We've seen that this season. We're good against, you know, any defense pretty much. Um, but really for the Packers offense, it just comes down to getting in their own way. It comes down to turnovers. Are they going to turn the ball over? Are they going to commit a bunch of penalties like they did in Detroit? Are they going to drop a bunch of footballs like they did on Saturday night? You never know. With could, them. The passing, could the could the O-line struggle once again? Because yeah. that could be the key for a loss. If the, if the O-line plays like it did on Saturday, we could see a potential scenario where the Titans get the opportunity to run it down our throats, burn the clock away, and not give us a chance. Yeah, is Matt LaFleur going to – is he going to poop his pants again like we've seen him do this season where he just forgets what his offensive philosophy is? Uh, it, it could be a number of things where we just get in our own way, and at times in every game we just we – just, we're not able to move the football for whatever reason. So we're going to have to make sure we have a great week in practice. I'm hoping they are prepared to have an excellent game on offense because the defense is going to have its hands full. And maybe even if they do commit to stopping Derrick Henry, like you said, Braun, he's still going to get his. He's a phenomenal running back. Every team every week comes into the game knowing they have to stop him, and they're unable to because the way Tennessee commits to the run game is unlike any team in the league. If they're able to score early and often, then it it's going to be it could get really ugly for the Packers. Another thing I'm concerned about um, is what I mentioned earlier about Matt LaFleur having that relationship with what Tennessee was doing. Mike Rabel, obviously the head coach, he was there as the offensive coordinator and then, of course, came to Green Bay to be the head coach. So I'm just worried about the potential of Mike Rabel and that defensive coaching staff who's still there. I'm worried about a possibility of them keying in on a lot of the things that we want to do on offense. And there's a difference between knowing what we're going to do and being able to stop it, especially when you've got Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. But I'm still concerned with that aspect because if Matt LaFleur maybe is doing things that they would recognize, that could be troublesome for us. But then, of course, in the same vein, Matt LaFleur faced that defense in practice for years and and knows what they're trying to do. So that could be advantageous for us as well. But I'm just not sure which way that'll go. Well, I think the I think LaFleur's playbook looks much different now than it did in Tennessee. I think this is much I would more- hope so because Rodgers Rodgers would would likely have brought more of the stuff that he did with Mike McCarthy, yeah, which is yeah. what we've seen. And, and I hope and it's been more passing too. oriented like we've talked about. Right. When LaFleur got hired, he was talking about how we're not we're not the Rams offense, we're not the 49ers offense, we're going to create the Packers offense. And I think that's more true this year than it was last year, especially with the added blend of what Rodgers is used to and what he's done and concepts he's uh, executed throughout his career. So I think this offense is unique, and I think it's a lot different from what LaFleur was running when he had Marcus Mariota at quarterback. But when you look at last week where it just it looked nothing like what we've seen from this team uh, from a schematic standpoint where there was no motion we weren't putting any stress on the linebackers so it's it's really just if if we're going to win this game if we're going to execute on offense if we're going to play the offensive football that we've seen this team play then we're going to have to get back to the, some of that stuff so even if the coaches prepare the players for what uh, our tendencies are they like the the Panthers came into that game knowing that we like to throw it deep. We like to throw to Devontae quick when he's given 10-yard cushions. So they were keying on that, and they were running up and making tackles. Not to, They were 
so reckless in that game and we just didn't do anything to stop it. But if we get back to what we've been doing this season from the starting with Matt LaFleur and the play design with the motion, the uh, play action game, the rollouts, the illusion of complexity, then it's not really going to matter because there's so much stress on the linebackers, on the defensive line, even on the corners. They're not going to know what's coming. And we need to get back to that because that is not what we saw on Saturday night. And if we turn in another performance like that, then then I don't I don't know what happened. <laughs> but I, I really think that Saturday night just had to be a had to be a flu game. It had to be just a weird game where maybe they didn't put enough effort into the game plan and they just they thought they could execute some certain kind of game plan that they were unable to because it was unlike what we've seen from this offense. I know for sure that a loss in this game, I know you mentioned that it really, this game, even if we lose it, it doesn't have a huge impact on, on our on our position moving forward, but we can clinch the one seed this week uh, if we get that win against Tennessee, and we'll know before that game uh, if the Rams beat the Seahawks. If those things happen, we will clinch the one seed this week, which would be nice, obviously. Um, to not have to worry about uh, the Bears who want the playoffs and they're still in the hunt. So that would be nice. But losing this game against, you know, this is a good team. This would be our – we've played good teams. The Bears and the Vikings are, are not bad. They're, you know, they're they're legitimate teams and they're in the playoff hunt. But, you know, this this is a winning football team. This is like a, a real playoff contender type team. And it would be a little bit demoralizing for me and probably for the organization as well to, to have a disappointing performance. Uh, even, you know, I just think we have, this is a game that we really have to win to keep our momentum going forward and to really go into the playoffs, cementing ourselves as the best team in the NFC. Uh, if we can come out with a huge win here when these other teams like the Saints are, you know, they've lost back-to-back games. The Rams just lost to the worst team in football, um, you know, Seattle is, is in tight games every week with, and you know, they lost to the giants who aren't even in the playoff picture right now. They won by five against Washington. Um, so these are the teams that we're facing here in the playoff picture. Uh, Tampa Bay's getting hot as well, but, and of course they beat us. So we have to start cementing ourselves as that top team. I think it looks that way right now, but if we come out and don't win this game, things start to get, you know, the saints are going to feel like they've got a shot. The Rams, you know, they'll chalk it up to one game and try to get back in the picture. We've got to get the one seed, but, you know, we really just have to win these games. If we can do that, that's even more valuable than getting the bye. Having the momentum, getting hot is what separates these, these because they're all good teams. What separates them is getting hot at the right time. This game really only matters for public per- perception and even at this point, no one no one knows what to make of the NFC. It's a complete toss up. No, everyone every media outlet has a different uh, number one team in the NFC, and so getting a win like this over the Titans just it it would do it would do wonders for what people perceive of the Packers because no one really knows what to make of them. It seems knowing that they've had performances last year against the 49ers and that game this year against the the Buccaneers where just nothing was going right and we got blown out. It, it still feels like that could happen at any given time against a very tough and physical team like the Titans. So coming out of this game with a win, it's going to help. Hopefully the Rams win because then we can see a little bit of Jordan Love next week, see what they got in that see what they got in that, uh, that first-round pick there that they traded up for. Um, you know, the organization's probably rooting for that. They want to see what they got there. But, yeah, overall, it, it doesn't mean much for the team, but I'm hoping that doesn't stop them from 
being motivated for it at least. I, I doubt it will. I doubt the coaching staff's gonna take this any this game any less seriously than they would if it if it mattered any bit more. Yeah, I, I think so. And for me, there's a lot of positives in going to this game as well. Like you know, we talked about a lot of our concerns and things like that, but there's a lot of matchups that favor us in, in plenty of ways. We talked about how Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, you know, they don't have great cornerbacks in that group. They've got uh, they've got Butler over there. They've got um, uh, they got Desmond King as well, and you know that secondary is is good. They've got Kevin Byard and others, but there's not really a guy that you're gonna be concerned about locking down Devontae Adams. So we have a chance to really play well, rebound in the passing game, definitely. And I think Aaron Jones, this could be a game for him to have a lot of success as well because we're going to need him to be able to move the ball and open up some of that play-action stuff that we're going to want to do. And on defense, we talked about the talent that's in that secondary. Jair against anybody is, is a good matchup. And, um, you know, they've got some they're, – they're predicated on deep stuff, that, that play-action deep passing they're very good at. So if we're able to contain what A.J. Brown is doing – uh, with our safety play, preventing the big plays. If we prevent the big plays, we can win the game. Uh, Corey Davis is going to do a lot of the intermediate stuff, and I, he's been good this year, and, and that's a fact. But we're going to have to be able to stop both of those guys. And I like our odds. I do think we can take advantage of some of that stuff just based on our talent level. I'm confident in our how we're going to defend the pass game. I think Jair is going to do a great job locking up uh, – A.J. Brown, as he does every week, and I'm very confident in our safeties, too, to take away anything over the middle deep, and uh, knowing that this this offense plays primarily off of play action with two receivers on the field, uh, Kevin King being one of the opposing corners, probably going up against Corey Davis most of the time, does worry you, but uh, I think I think overall, if the pass rush can do, it, do its job, I think if they can get home, uh, the passing game won't hopefully won't be too much of an issue. It's really all going to come down to how we defend Derrick Henry because he's a guy who can totally take over this game and just ruin the Packers' day on defense. So we're, they're they're just going to have to make sure that that doesn't happen by any means necessary. And for the offense, I think Devontae Adams could have a really nice rebound game going up against Malcolm Butler. Uh, we saw <laughs> the play that comes to mind for me is the preseason. I think it was 2019, 2019 preseason, I believe, where – uh, De- De- Devontae only played like one series, but he had a deep catch over Mal- Malcolm Butler. So that was nice. Hopefully that was a preview of what we, could, what we could see from Devontae in this game. And like you said, I think it's going to be a really nice performance for the passing game. So Griff, what do you think here is is going to end up being the outcome of this game? This is one of the tougher ones to really predict um, because you know how good this Tennessee team is. And of course, we're coming off not our best performance if we were firing on all cylinders like we have been over the course of the last few weeks, I would probably lean towards us definitely for sure. Um, but this, the way that the Titans are playing and, and the, the way that we're playing um, has me questioning things a little bit. Yeah, it definitely does. It definitely does. Coming off of that Panthers game, it's just... I don't know what to make of that game. Like I said at the top of the show, I don't know what to I don't know what to take away from that game because it was not what we've seen from this offense. I know that for a fact. It most likely was an outlier, and I'm hoping that the team itself inside the building was upset with that performance and is going to work harder to improve from that. But overall, in terms of this game, I don't think either defense matches up well with the opposing offense. I don't think they're going to be able to stop what the opposing offense wants to do with the ball. We're not going to be able to stop Derrick Henry, most likely, and they're not going to be able to stop Aaron Rodgers. So this definitely has the implications of being a game-of-the-year type of shootout. Uh, 
similar to what we saw with Baltimore and Cleveland, where it's just score after score after score depends on who gets the ball last. So this really could be one of those coin flip games like we saw in uh, Indy earlier this year, where it just comes down to that game came down to a fumble just something silly like that where it just momentum goes into a different way and we're inches away from losing or we're inches away from winning I don't think either team pulls away from the other I think it's going to be very uh very close in a hard-fought game I was just gonna say I think you know whoever wins this game is gonna have to get at least one turnover and that those come at a premium for both teams because they, they don't happen often. So for the, our hope is that the defense continues to improve like it has the past few weeks. If we see a good game from Kevin King and the rest of the guys in that starting 11 play to the level that were, they were playing against Carolina, we could see a really strong performance um, from that group. And if that can happen, that'll give us obviously a better chance to win, hoping that the offense can rebound. So I think a turnover is going to be crucial for us on defense. Even just uh, even a turnover on downs, something in the goal line, something in the red zone. Uh, if we're able to get to that point and, and just swing momentum in one scenario, one case, uh, we're just going to have to hope that the offense gets back to what it what it's been doing all year, which is firing on all cylinders. Yeah, it's going to come down to just stealing a possession from the from the Titans, or maybe even doubling up before the end of the first half and at the beginning of the second half if we can be able to get the ball after halftime. Uh, that's something that we've seen this offense just take advantage of and go up two scores when just five minutes ago in game time, it was a tie game. So uh, it could come down to something like that or a turnover. Or for either team, this could happen because I think this is going to be a very close game. But uh, like I said, I think it's going to come down to how well we are able to defend Derrick Henry on early downs because they love to run the ball on first and second down. It's going to come down to just forcing them into third and longs or third and mediums even, third and six, third and five. That's what we're going to need to see from the defense to make sure that they're able to contain the Titans' offense. That's a great point. Getting them into into spots where you know they're going to have to throw it. I think that's the key for our defense to stop the running game and obviously that play-action pass. We need to get them into predictable scenarios and situations and downs. Um, like you mentioned, third and six, you know they're not going to try to run it there. They're, they're going to go for a pass on that play. We need to get them into spots where we know what they're doing. That'll give us the best chance to stop them. Yep. Very much so. What are you thinking for the score here, Bron? I mean, I did, <laughs> I don't know what the score is going to be, and I'm, I would never predict a loss, so it's going to be tough. For me, it's going to be, like you mentioned, a high-scoring game, I think. Um, I'd probably say 34-28. It's going to come down to – it's going to be within a score. I can almost guarantee you that. It's going to be high-flying offense all over. Um, or, you know, obviously running the, running the ball as well is going to be – a big factor for Tennessee and us. Um, you know, I don't, this is one of the toughest games to predict how it's going to go, what the central factor will be, you know, whether the Titans are going to focus on, you know, they could decide that they're going to really try to throw it on us because teams have been able to do that at times. We saw it against Carolina. We saw it against Detroit. Maybe they think we're going to really, really focus on the running game and they're going to just use the play-action pass to throw all over us. I mean, there's so many different things that could go down. So I'm just going to say 34-28, and you know, that's really all I can say. It's hard to predict anything else. Yeah, that could definitely happen. <laughs> they could totally just bamboozle us, bring us, force us into heavy 
defensive packages and then just throw over right over our heads. Uh, we've seen San Francisco do that. Uh, 2019, that first meeting with them, they were able to force us into heavy heavy personnel on defense and then throw that George Kittle uh, 40-yard touchdown or whatever. Uh, that That's definitely an outcome that could come, and they could totally just <laughs> go right around Mike Patton because I don't I don't know with him, but uh, as as for score predictions, I'm going to go a 34 to 31. I think it's going to be a three point game. Field goal is going to decide this one, and I think this game is going to go by pretty quick too. I think both teams are going to take a lot of time off the clock here. I think we both said the scores. I don't know if we both offered our teams. I didn't. Uh, I'm I'm right. going Green Bay 34 28. I'm going, I'm going I mean, Green you Bay. Are too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So look, this is going to, this is a tough game. If we can come out with a win here, it's going to be a real indicator of, of who this team is and what they're made for. And, you know, it's just a big game. It feels like a playoff game, even more so than many of the other games we've played this year. Um, it just has that, that playoff feel. So many different scenarios could go down and, and either team could win this game and you wouldn't be surprised. So I'm really excited for it. I'm excited for the challenge, and I'm looking forward to a, hopefully a win for us. Yeah, me too. I think it's going to be just a really, really entertaining football game. And like I've said, I think it's going to be one of the games of the year. I think it's going to be a very high-scoring shootout where not many punts are seen. But uh, that's going to do it for the podcast. We'd like to thank you all for listening. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, that's where you can find us every Thursday. Uh, thanks so much for listening, and Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go!